You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 11. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Let everything inside me bless his holy name. Let my whole being bless the Lord and never forget all his good deeds, how God forgives all your sins, heals all your sickness, saves your life from the pit, crowns you with faithful love and compassion, and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like an eagle's. The Lord works righteousness, does justice for all who are oppressed. God made his ways known to Moses, made his deeds known to the Israelites. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, very patient and full of faithful love. God won't always play the judge. He won't be angry forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing. Because as high as heaven is above the earth, that is how large God's faithful love is for those who honor him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to begin today by telling you a story that I have never told in this space before. In the summer of 2009, I quit on my faith. It was arguably one of the hardest seasons of life that I've gone through. There's a lot going on to unpack it a little bit. My grandfather who was the spiritual backbone of our family, my spiritual mentor, probably my first ever true pastor, died after a multi-year battle with cancer. Uh, Someone in my immediate family uh, was battling addiction, and so I was kind of the one who was voluntold to lead the intervention, and then when the intervention didn't go well, I was the one who was pushing an agenda. I was the enemy. I was lonely. I came back home from college, and so all of my friends were back here, back east. My parents live in Colorado, and so I was lonely. Didn't have a lot of people to hang out with, to speak to about this, to confide in. And the nice little cherry on top was that that was easily the spiritually driest season I've ever been through. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Seasons of faith, seasons in your relationship with God where it doesn't feel like it matters how many times you pray, how many times you go to church, how many times you listen to worship music in your car. It's almost like you can't even summon 
God's presence. You can't get God's attention. Everywhere I went, I felt like I couldn't feel God anymore. So I'll never forget this. I went for a really long walk that was full of tears, full of yelling, full of curse words. And at the very end of that conversation, which was not a conversation, I said to God, if you're not going to show up for me at the moment when I need you most, I don't want to believe in you no more. I'm out. And I was at least for several weeks. For several weeks, I didn't pray. I tried not to think about God. I definitely didn't go to church. Whenever my friends who were all devout Christians wanted to talk about something spiritual, I would change the subject really abruptly. And then, something like in here, like in this region, began to ache. Something began to long it's almost as if those of you who've ever been homesick before, it's like you're home, but you're experiencing homesickness. It's a really weird feeling. I was homesick for this place I had found home, this person I had called home for so many years. I found myself longing, desperately longing and yearning for the one I had written off, I had bailed upon. I still loved, even though I hated, in this really mixture of emotions. And so I'm wrestling with all of that when one of my friends who does notice that I'm going through all of that invites me to church. Good Lord, thank you for some Christians who know the precise moment to invite you to church. Some of you know this. You've been on the receiving end of a text message. I think you should come with me today. I think this is for you. And so I did. I did. It was an evening service. It was a Saturday night, 5 o'clock service. I showed up to this church. And I walked in feeling a lot of stuff, that longing and that yearning, but also like I hope no one knows, like, I'm glad no one knows uh, the state of my soul at the current moment because I don't even necessarily know if I'm allowed in here at the current moment because I bailed, like, I quit. I don't know if I want to be a part of this thing anymore. And the pastor gets out of reach, and what do you know? The Bible passage that he's preaching upon that day is our passage for today, Psalm 103. I've told a couple of you that Psalm 103 has saved my faith a couple of times couple of times. And the reason for which is very easy to see, especially when you look at passages, you look at verses like 8 through 11, where the author is, is sharing their, their experience, that they now know firsthand that the Lord is compassionate, merciful, patient, full of love. God doesn't always play the judge. God isn't angry forever. God doesn't deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing. Can you see how as the sermon is going on, all of my shame is starting to like drop like armor, like fall like armor that I'd been putting on for weeks because as high as heaven is above the earth. That's how large God's faithful love is. And then at the very end of his sermon, the pastor said one of those corny, hokey things that pastors say sometimes that is also 100% true. He said, what I've come to know through passages like these and through my own experience in life is that even if you stop believing in God, God never stops believing in you. And with that corny, 
hokey, tacky turn of phrase. I felt like I was being given permission to believe again, to engage again, to actually take God up on the thing that I'd always preached to other people, I'd always prescribed to other people, but I never knew if it applied to me or I never even thought about applying it to me. It was in that moment at that evening service in the back corner of that sanctuary that I believed in a God of second chances. You see, friends, this is easily, easily one of my favorite things about our story, the gospel story, and when you think about back to our sermon series, the parallels between the gospel story and the Disney story, this is also one of the things that I love so much about the stories that Disney tells. Stories like we encounter in Frozen, Beauty of the Beast, Onward and Up, that you and I can always start again. We can always begin again. We can always seize the opportunity to put our lives back together and maybe just maybe with the help of others make something more beautiful than what we had before. So I don't know, I don't presume to know where everybody is here this morning, where you are spiritually and where you are in life, or those of you tuning in online, where you are as you're tuning into this. But here's what I do know. Whether you know this firsthand because of your life right now, or because of where you have been, or because of the second chances you will need, at some point in the future. I believe our story for today has a lot to give us in terms of hope and believing in God and believing in ourselves again. So, let's dive in. If you have your Bibles with you or your smart devices and you want to follow along as we dive into our scripture passage for today, go ahead and return back to the passage you just heard Amy read a couple of moments ago, Psalm 103. If you're new here to our church or you're re-engaging church and you're re-engaging a relationship with the Bible, I'll give you a little bit of context as to where we're at and what we're talking about here today. So the book of Psalms is like a, a prayer journal. It's like a prayer diary. I love Eugene Peterson's line on this. He says that when you read the Psalms, the Psalms are a crash course in how to pray honestly. I love that. He says... The Psalms are a reminder that when it comes to prayer, anything goes. That you can say whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you're thinking, good, bad, or indifferent, about God, about other people, about yourself. If you really want a template for how to be honest and put your soul honestly before God, read the Psalms. And here in Psalm 103, that is no different. In Psalm 103, what we do know, we don't necessarily know the exact specificity of what this person has gone through, this author has gone through, but we do know what we can infer pretty confidently is that recently, recently, this author has gone through something uh, that has caused him to feel guilt and or shame and or a lack of belief in this God and putting their faith in God. How do we know that? Again, look at verses 2 through 5. So we're going to talk about this in a moment. We're on the other side where they're ready to praise about it. But this is important to remember that what they've gone through is they've gone through something that they're celebrating a God who, third line down, forgives all their sins, heals all of their sickness, saves their life from the pit. So 
The only people who make pronouncements about that and thank God for that are people who have, have sins to forgive, are people who have sickness that has needed healing. The only people who are willing to go and shout from the rooftop and give thanks to God for the amazing things that God has done, the good deeds that God that he talks about in verse 2, are the people who have been in a pit before and witnessed a God who reached in and yanked him out. And so I'm curious for you how you would fill in those blanks, what you, what things you would put behind those words. God, a, a God who forgives all of our sins, I'm curious what things you would think about mistakes you've made, trip-ups you've had. When I think about sicknesses, what sicknesses has God come to rescue you from, heal you from? What pits? would you identify in your own life? Pits that maybe other people threw you in? Or let's be honest, pits you dug for yourself. And what I love so much about this story is this author is not only giving testament, is being honest about the fact that all of those things have been present in his or her life at one point or another, sins, sicknesses, and pits. What I love so much about this is that this author stuck around long enough to write about it. You ever heard that phrase that, well, just 90% is just showing up? You heard that before? Like, I feel like people always say that, like, in work and that sort of thing. It's just showing up. Honest to God, 90% of faith is just sticking around. When you go through hell, do you have enough audacity to stick around and believe that maybe redemption will show up? Maybe maybe your life might get put back together. I like to say this sometimes, that sometimes as a follower of Jesus, it requires like a certain level of audacity. You know what I mean? You know what I mean by that? Like it takes a little bit of audacity to walk through the front doors and be like, whew, I was not a really good Christian this week, but you said I could show back up and your grace and mercy is new every morning, so I'm going to go sit down. Um, it takes like a certain level of that, doesn't it? Doesn't it? At least if we're honest with ourselves and honest with our lives. And furthermore, what it also requires, those of us who are interested in second chances, who want to have access to second chances, it's not only going to require a high level of audacity, but it's going to require you to overcome a really high level of unbelief and disbelief that begins to creep into our system when these things occur. What types of disbelief, what types of unbelief are we talking about? Well, the first of which is this. If you want to be someone of second chances, someone who gets second chances, someone who administers second chances, one of the really big forms of unbelief, one of the really big forms of disbelief you're going to have to overcome is unbelief in other people. Quick show of hands. How many of you have ever been betrayed, hurt, lied to, harmed, by an individual or maybe an institution writ large, and it caused you, at least for a moment, at least for a moment, to be like, I mean, I've lost all hope and belief in humanity. Raise your hand, let's do it real quick. Raise your hand if you've ever had that experience, even on a minor level. A lot of us, a lot of us. And why, why does this happen? This, I'm not gonna say anything that's surprising to you, Oftentimes, when we're hurt or betrayed or lied to or let down by somebody or something, an institution or organization that we, be, that we belong to, 
oftentimes, why we default to shutting down and casting them off and canceling any relationship or connection to them whatsoever, the reason why we do that, why, is because of protection. We're protecting ourselves, aren't we? I don't know about you, but when I've been harmed and hurt by other people, the first sort of instinctual biological response is to be like, okay, I don't want that to happen to me again. I don't want to feel that way again. I don't want to be harmed and hurt that way again. And so we overcorrect and we say, okay, so I'm not trusting nobody no more. I'm not trusting any institution or groups anymore. And I'm going to do this all by myself. Go back to our Disney series for this summer. This, my friends, is Carl Fredrickson. How many of you have seen the movie Up before? Okay. Carl Fredrickson is the beloved uh, protagonist of this film. And the movie opens uh, with a really beautiful story of Carl. Carl is one of those shy kids growing up, kind of kept himself, didn't do a whole lot, wasn't really extroverted, didn't put himself out there until he met his beloved Ellie. Ellie pulled him out of his comfort zone, cracked his shell, and took him on adventures every which way until she died. Three minutes into the movie, she dies. By far, this is the fastest I've ever cried in a Disney movie in my entire life. I didn't actually know how to recover from that. I was like, we got 87 minutes left of this film. Like, I'm an emotional wreck. Where do we go from here? And so what does Carl do in the aftermath of Ellie's death? Those of you who've seen the movie, you know he shuts down. He puts up walls. Nobody's coming in ever again. I'm living in my house, and I'm going to lock the door. I'm going to lock the door to my heart. I'm going to lock the door to my spirit. I'm going to lock the door to my joy. I'm not letting nobody in no more. I'm going un- to renounce my belief in other people because it just hurts too daggum much to let people in and lose them or have them leave. And if you're new here to our church or you're new to my preaching style, so here's, here's kind of the way I do things. So um, I don't believe in a form of preaching that tries to tell you what to do. Instead, I like the way Jesus did it in that oftentimes what Jesus did is Jesus would hold out a reality and then he would just give you options. And then you get to choose. You get to choose what kind of life you want. You get to choose what kind of path you want. And I actually appreciate that about Jesus and so I'm going to do the same thing here. Friends, if you are someone who is, wants to be a believer and an embodier of our belief in the gospel of second chances, and you are going to be required to extend those second chances to other people, you're really your options are one of two, one of two. From that moment forward where you're hurt, betrayed, you lose someone, or someone lets you down, you can have two, there's two pathways for your life. You can... Uh, engage the rest of your life, like Carl, and say, nope, no more relational risks for the rest of my life. I'm not letting anybody in. I'm not putting myself out there. I'm not connecting with nobody. I'm not belonging to no group. I'm not belonging to no organization. I'm not doing none of that. And that's fine, but just know that's not a riskless option. While there's now no risk of relational fallout or harm, there's a really high risk of loneliness, isolation, and depression. And so I think what Jesus would be inviting us into, what the movie, the gospel of Disney sort of invites us into, is moderate levels of relational risk 
because we know that that decreases the loneliness. This is what happens to Carl. This is what happens throughout the Gospels when they're invited into community, into Christian friendship. You're invited into a space where, yes, there is still risk, but it's risk that's worth it. I'll never forget this in my own life, my own life. The first time uh, Marie and I ever held uh, ministerial roles in a church, uh, we went in and made a bunch of friends because that was our community and we wanted to be close friends with people in that community. This is the first time we ever put ourselves out there with people who are in our spiritual community and it uh, did not go well. Why? Because in that situation, what happened really quickly was uh, we developed a high level of trust in those folks and a high level of dependence upon those folks. And the moment that the church that I was a part of and I was co-leading made decisions that they didn't like for the church, we weren't friends no more. We were talked about, gossiped about, given weird glances from across the lobby. It really hurt. It really, really hurt. And I'll be real with you, it took years. It was even a couple years into being here at the peak that we were like, okay, I think we have kind of need to put some stuff back together because right now we're overreacting to the hurt and right now we're on a path of just being lonely for the rest of our lives. And furthermore, we started to notice that something was happening to our hearts. Have you had this happen to you? Something began happening to our hearts. C.S. Lewis puts it beautifully when he talks about risk and relational risks. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He reminds us uh, there is no such thing no such thing as a safe investment with your heart. No such thing. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love anything in your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly even broken. And so, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, make sure you give your heart to no one, not even an animal. So you cat lovers out there, get rid of them. Come on, get them out, get them out, get them out, get them out. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe, in a casket. Notice the language, in a coffin of your own selfishness. But just know, just know, you can do that. That is your option. You can do that. But know this, in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it'll change. Sure, it won't be broken but it'll become unbreakable, impenetrable. And very, very sadly for our case, irredeemable. And so friends, the first thing, the first thing you're gonna, if you wanna, second chances are beautiful and wonderful to talk about on the surface and you can you know, put all over church websites and we as Christians, we believe in second chances. If you're gonna believe that, know that the first type of unbelief you're gonna have to overcome is the unbelief, the cynicism in other people. Keep going. Another type of unbelief you're going to have to overcome if you want to be someone of second chances is uh, not necessarily, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, yeah, no, I believe in other people. They're great. Some of you kept your hands down. Like, you're like, no, I mean, like, I, I, I believe in other people. I see other people in the right light, and they're, everyone's trying to do their best. I get all that. Maybe for you, the type of unbelief you have to overcome is not in other people. It's in who? Yourself. This time, don't raise your hand. But how many of us have ever failed so miserably, done something so wrong, done something so out of character, 
done something contrary to our beliefs, done something that ended up harming and hurting other people so much so that you walked away from that and your confidence in yourself shrunk like crazy. I'm willing to bet everybody in this room has moments where you took a hit and you're like, man, I don't know if I should do anything for anyone ever again. Why? Why do we do that? Well, again, the reason why is because our basic sort of biological human response to failure and to messing up is to sort of default to this place of comfort. It's just easier in the aftermath of failure, personal failure, it's easier to not allow myself to be confronted by all of the uncomfortable things I just learned about myself, right? This is why when you fail, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want other people to talk about it because I don't want to learn that maybe I wasn't as good at that thing as I thought that I was. Or maybe I don't know as, I don't want to know, I don't want to be confronted with the realization that I don't know nearly as much as I thought that I knew. Or maybe I don't want to be confronted with the realization that, holy cow, I didn't know that I was capable of that. That my anger and my selfishness and my pride and my ego, I had no, I didn't, oh, I, don't, I had no idea I was capable of letting those things reign in me so strongly. Welcome to the human condition, friends. Especially on this side of heaven. You are made in the image of likeness of God. Amen, amen, amen. And you've also got a part that lives in you that's so scared and so insecure that it constantly acts out against the ways in which that are best for you and the way in which God wants for you. Paul talks about this in Romans all the time. Romans 6, Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do and I hate doing it, but I keep doing it. I don't understand. So we lock it up. We say, you know what? Forget it. I'm not putting myself out there anymore. I'm not going to volunteer for anything. I'm not sure as heck not going to lead anything because I'm going to jack it up. And that's an option. That's an option. Some of you who are, uh, you've gone through some sort of just human frailty failure or a moral failure, that is an option. You can spend the rest of your life that way. But it's not the only option. And I would argue this is not the Jesus option. But if you, let's put them on the table. You get to choose. Here are your options. In the aftermath of failure and struggling to believe with yourself, you can, number one, or A, you can live an encased life, Right? So I'm just going to stay right in here. I'm going to shrink. I'm going to run away. I'm not going to put myself out there and do the thing anymore because I don't want to hurt nobody. But you will live a squandered life, a very small life. You can do that. Or you can expose yourself again to, yeah, you might mess it up again. Yeah, you might not get it perfectly the next time. But you'll find meaning. You'll find purpose. You might be one failure closer to God's purpose for your life. And some of you are like, dude, that sounds great. Like, that sounds wonderful. But like, <laughs> you don't know what I did. <laughs> so, um, like, I don't know necessarily if, like, I don't want to do that because, like, that's, that's hard. And I don't necessarily have a lot of confidence. And I, I, that unbelief in myself, like, that's easier said than done. And I get all that. I get all that. But here is what I know. The people who have screwed up royally in some way, form, fashion, or another, and who kept going are those who trusted this fact. This is a fact. They trusted this fact. That most likely, most likely, 
the future you won't do what the previous you didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Let's just put it in very simple terms. The future you now knows what the older you didn't know. Listen, some of you, you get stuck in these shame spirals because you did something five, ten years ago, and you'll sit up late at night and you'll be like, good God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. That's really easy to say because that you didn't know what this you knows. Rob Bell has this beautiful line. He says this whenever people like show up in his life and they try to like, you know, treat him, his current you, versed of something based off something he did or said, you know, 10, 20 years ago. One of the things that he says is he goes, Oh, he does it like playfully. He goes, Oh, that was like seven robs ago. <laughs> Don't you love that? Like it's playful, but it's like a way of showing grace to us. Oh, dude, like that was 13 Kyles ago. I wanted to say this so badly. Uh, when I was back in college, I felt a call to ministry. I was like, I was like one year into feeling my call. And I went back home to Georgia where I spent middle school and early high school. And I ran into my old soccer coach at the movie theater. And I, I was like, hey, Coach Sam, it's good to see you. you know? And he's like, oh my gosh, Kyle, it's so good to see you. He's like, what are you up to now? What are you studying? I was like, actually, I'm studying to be a pastor. And he goes, you? Couldn't find anybody else? Yes. At that point, good Lord, that was 20 Kyles ago, right? One of my favorite moments in the Gospels is in John chapter 21, where uh, Jesus redeems Peter. Remember, Peter betrays Jesus three times. Do you remember the story when they're on the shoreline after the resurrection, and he pulls Peter aside and he says, hey, Peter, quick question, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Five minutes later, ask him again. Peter, real quick, just checking in. Do you, do you love me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I said, mm-hmm. yep, sure do. Third time, does it again. What's Jesus doing there? I would argue what he's doing is he is putting distance between the old him and the new him. He was essentially creating, making something new, what does 2 Corinthians say? He makes him into a new creation right before his very eyes. And we know it works. Because what we know from church history is that Peter never again betrays Jesus. In fact, he goes to his death still believing in the gospel to which he's been called. He's been called to share. And so, friends, I say to you that, man, it's, it's not just a matter of can you believe in yourself again? It's, it's will you. It's not a can, it's will you. Will you. Last one. The last form of disbelief and unbelief you're going to have to overcome. Maybe those first two didn't apply to you. Maybe those first two, you're like, yeah, I'm really struggling. I feel like I've got tons of ego and self-confidence. I feel good about myself. Or maybe uh, you know, you've got a really high level of belief in other people. Maybe that's not... In order to be a person of second chances, those aren't the types of unbelief you're going to have to overcome. It's the third and final one, which is like me back in 2009. It's the unbelief in God that you're going to have to overcome. Some of you, for very good reason, have been through things that have caused you to question 
why you should even put your trust in this God. Especially when you look around and you see Christians acting a certain way in the name of God. Or, and, or, and, because of the ways in which God has interacted with you. Maybe your unbelief in God is for good reason. Maybe because God didn't show up when you needed God to, or God did show up in a way you didn't anticipate, and it sent things sort of in a really wildly different direction. So for you, in order to be a person of second chances, you're going to have to get to this place where you're willing to re-believe in God again. And to you, I just want to say a couple of things. I want to say, number one, you're not alone. Your pastor's been there. You're not alone. And the second thing I want to say to you is the reason why I still believe today. So the reason why after that event where I walked away, came back, and then have not left since, and I don't believe I ever will, is not because since then life hasn't been hard. I think sometimes like that's the like illusion. You're like, oh, well, you, you just still believe because, you know, things have been good since then. It's like, no, dude, actually there's been a couple of moments these last two, three years in particular that have been, that have rivaled that. That have been just as hard, if not uh, more challenging on me. So it's not that life hasn't been hard. It's that I've learned now and I know now that when, not if, when I go through hell again, when I go through hell again, it's up to you. Everyone gets to pick and choose. But when I go through hell again, I want to be following the redeemers, not the cynics. I want to keep company with the people who are trying to put their lives in this world back together instead of walking around grumpy and upset and constantly believing more in the darkness, more in the evil, more in the sadness uh, than the good, the light, the hope that we as Christians claim to hold. Again, friends, so much of the Christian faith, if you look at all, every single story of Scripture, every, almost every single one of our biblical heroes screwed it up. They messed it up. They fumbled the ball. They did exactly what God told them not to do. They did exactly the thing that they didn't want to do. And the ones who became heroes are the ones who stuck around because they were like, I'll be damned if I miss out on the redemption. I'll be damned if I miss out on the goodness that I believe will eventually come. And so here's what I want to do as we close. Uh, worship team, you can go and come on up. Here's what I want to do as we close. As we close worship today, uh, what I want to do uh, is I want to give you the opportunity in the privacy of your own mind and heart. You don't have to stand up, go anywhere, do anything. But in the privacy of your own heart and the privacy of your own mind and spirit, I want to give you the opportunity, especially those of you who need it, to believe again. And you know who you are. You know in whom you have lost faith. Maybe for you it is other people. Maybe it's like, good Lord, have you seen humanity lately? Like, I don't believe in nobody, nothing, not a chance. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe a big job failure or a big family failure or a spiritual failure has left you in this place where you just have a very, very, very low view of yourself. Or maybe it is God. You feel like God let you down. You feel like God didn't do what you wanted God to do. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity 
as a response to believe again. And here's, I wanna encourage you with this, okay? So don't get scared, okay? Don't get scared. Someone say, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. There you go, good job, well done. Don't be scared, because here's the beautiful expectation that God has of you. Whenever you're given an opportunity to believe again, to re-engage faith again, what's so beautiful about the Gospels, what's so beautiful about the God that we worship, is that God never expects us to go zero to 100. Someone say zero to 100. Nope. That's not the God that we worship. The God that we worship says that all you need to move mountains is the faith the size of what? Somebody. Mustard seed. How many of you have ever held a mustard seed before? How many of you have never held a mustard seed before? Merry Christmas. We're going to uh, make your dreams come true. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. All right. Sutherlands, follow me. Come on. Come on. Jennings, come follow me. Okay. So here's what I want you to do. Jennings, I'm going to give you two cups. You're going to start at the back of the sanctuary. Y'all are going to start at the back of the sanctuary. Pass these, starting with the rows in the back. Everyone gets one, or you can take a couple if you'd like. All right, so y'all start in the back. Go, and you're going to meet in the middle. You guys start in the front. You're going to pass these row by row, and then we're going to meet in the middle. And when you have them, just keep them with you. I'll get them afterward. Can I t- can I actually cast you one? Sure. Whoop. All right, so go. Go do that, okay? If you receive a cup, feel free to just, if you've got a long aisle full of people, just pass it all the way down until everyone gets one, then pass it to the person behind you. You know, sort of do like a, we've done this before, right? We've been in this church before. Here we go. As they're doing that, if you're watching this online and you're like, dadgummit, I wanted to hold a mustard seed. Um, if you have, uh, I was thinking of this earlier this morning, that if you have like peppercorn, you know, like, like you know, you grind a salt shaker. If you grind pepper, it's, it's actually, if you have one of those handy, grab one of those and, rem- and realize that uh, mustard seed is actually smaller than that. Smaller than that. But that's a good comparable thing. So if you're watching this online or if you're watching this later in the week, hit pause Go ahead and grab something of that size. I think like, think like a peppercorn. Like hold it in your hand. Hold it in your hand for this next part. So daggum small, I dropped it. Here we go. <laughs> All right. We're getting towards the middle. Raise your hand if you still need one, just so uh, folks don't miss you, okay? Once you have it, I want you to put it in the palm of your hand, okay? I'm going to give just a couple of seconds. Almost there. All right, anybody else? Raise your hand if you didn't get one. I think we're all good now. All right. All right, let's give a round of applause to Mike and Paula, Amy and Jeff. Thank you guys so much. You guys just hold on to them in your seat. I'll get them after. Awesome. Okay. All right, we all got one? All right. Just hold on to them, Mike. I'll grab it after. Paula, you can hold on to yours. I'll grab it after service. All right. Everybody got it? You got it in the palm of your hand? All right. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I don't presume to know, and I would never presume to know, that I know what you have been through, how that has strengthened and or weakened your faith in other people, in yourself, or in God, I will never, ever, ever presume to know or presume to fully understand why you have or don't have the level of faith or belief that you have, okay? 
but I am willing to bet after having ministered to humanity writ large for some time now that everybody's got at least that much. At least I hope you do. You got at least that much belief, hope, and faith in yourself and other people or in God. And so what's going to happen is the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And again, in the quietness, maybe, maybe in a whisper under your breath, I just want you, to, uh, I want you to pray to God. I want you to say just you and God. You're not saying to nobody else. I want you to say it to God. I want you to say, okay, God, uh, you said all I got to do is this. All I got to do is come up with this. Okay? And so I believe this much in fill in the blank. Whoever it is for you, whatever it is for you. In the quietness of your heart, I want you to say, God, I believe this much, and I'm looking to you for the rest. Okay? I believe this much, and I'm looking to you for the rest. And then I want you to watch and wait how our God shows up. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.